0: From the archives of the East Oregonian, we bring you the murder of Sheriff Till Taylor. A hundred years later to the day, we'll take you through the sheriff's story, the events leading up to his murder, and the manhunt that ensued for the men responsible. I'm your host, Alex Castle, and I'm joined
1: by our producer, Ben Lonergan. Throughout our week-long podcast series, we'll be drawing on a variety of sources, including Ernest L. Crockett's book The Murder of Till Taylor, A Great Western Sheriff, our own East Oregonian archives, other newspaper clippings, as well as interviews with historians and descendants of Till Taylor. We would like to extend a special thank you to former East Oregonian reporter Kathy Aney, as well as many members of the East Oregonian staff, past and present, and the generous support of the Umatilla County community. We want to acknowledge that As a sheriff in the early 20th century, history at that
0: time involved enforcement of racist laws like Oregon's black exclusion laws, while also participating or at least facilitating the removal of American Indians from their land. And much of that documented history that we're drawing on was recorded by white men. Till Taylor was born September 19th, 1866, in a place called Howell Prairie, just about nine miles outside of Salem, Oregon. Eventually, him and his parents sailed in to what was then called Centerville, but today is known as Athena. Taylor would attend schools in Athena, the Walla Walla area, and eventually would attend business school in Portland in 1889. Taylor returned to the Athena area not long after and married his first wife, Sadie Smith. He began his career as a bookkeeper at Barrett's Hardware Store in Athena, and soon, him and his wife Sadie had their first son, Sheldon D. Taylor, in 1891. Taylor's first wife Sadie would die Shortly thereafter, in 1896 and not long after, Taylor himself would move to Pendleton, leaving his son Sheldon in the Athena area to be raised by Taylor's parents. Taylor continued his career as a bookkeeper in the Pendleton area. But then in 1898, Taylor would join the Umatilla County Sheriff's Office as a deputy, serving under then-Sheriff William Blakely. After just four years of service, in 1902, Taylor was elected to the post of Umatilla County Sheriff, a role he would serve for 18 years. During his time as sheriff, Taylor was credited with over 2,000 arrests. Now reading from Sheriff Till Taylor's obituary published in the July 26, 1920 edition of the East Oregonian. His coolness and his bravery are proverbial, not only in Umatilla County, but throughout the entire state, and he was unquestionably the best-known sheriff in the Northwest. Crooks and bad men respected him for his nerve and squareness. It was characteristic of Sheriff Taylor that while dying, he gave instructions regarding the hunt for the men who caused his death. Sheriff Taylor was a splendid type of man, and aside from his qualities as an officer, was possessed of a winning personality. His friends throughout the county are legion, and everywhere are heard expressions of regrets of his death. And sympathy for his relatives never has Pendleton been so stirred, and the tragedy has shocked the entire community. Taylor was still no stranger to shootouts and grapples with suspected criminals. But throughout his 18 years, Taylor never once killed a man Though his own sidearm would later be used against him to bring about his untimely demise.
1: Like we acknowledged earlier, a portion of the role of the Western Sheriff in the early 1900s was to enforce often racist laws. And as we'll discuss later in this series, the often romanticized view of the Western Sheriff is portrayed in popular media is often flawed in its inability or ignorance of the realities of their role in the enforcement of racially biased laws and policies. According to Bobby Connor, director of the Tomaskalit Cultural Institute in Mission, Till Taylor's name comes up rarely in connection with local Indian tribes in stories passed down or in the media. Despite this, one mention does come up when Taylor's deputies forcibly removed an Indian woman named Wennox from her Thorn Hollow Springs property so the city of Pendleton could use her spring as a water source. The city of Pendleton continued to use the spring until 2003 when it constructed a newer water treatment facility, and in 2011 Pendleton Mayor Phil Houck officially handed over the deed to the Thorn Hollow Springs area to the tribal chairman les minthorne the thorn hollow springs area are a legacy of time marked by questionable dealings between whites and indians the east oregonian reported at the time the city of pendleton technically bought the land in 1912 as assistant city attorney nancy kearns put it the history clearly leads one to think that then city leaders were underhanded in the way they got their ownership while the land couldn't be returned to the now deceased original owner City officials decided the next best thing would be to return the land to the tribes. While the event marking the transfer of the property was simple, representatives from both sides described it as a part of the positive era in relationships between tribal government and the city of Pendleton. After Taylor's murder in 1920, the East Oregonian reported that Indian trackers played a large role in helping to search for his killers as the outlaws made their way through tribal lands. Connor said Taylor's relationship with the Indians living near Pendleton was difficult to pin down, as tribal members at the time had frustratingly little control over their lands, their jurisdiction, and where their children attended school. Indians at the time were often characterized by negative stereotypes such as being lazy or drunken, and relationships with authority figures such as Taylor were fraught with tension. Even so, at the time of his death, Taylor had in his possession a headdress ostensibly gifted to him by the tribes. And at the unveiling of a statue of Taylor in 1929, a tribal leader named Poker Jim spoke of Taylor as a friend. That might have been Poker Jim simply representing his people, Connor said. It would be unwise to infer a warm relationship, though that might have been the case. As one of Taylor's jobs as a livestock director for the Pendleton Roundup, he was charged with finding rank horses to use in the bucking bronc event, and often came to the reservation to look for horses that would buck. Connor said she can only guess about Taylor's personal relationship with tribal members. We have no interest in demonizing a local hero, she said. In
0: 1909, Taylor married his second wife, Claire, and then in 1910, he was credited as one of the key figures in helping form the Pendleton Roundup. He would serve as a livestock director in multiple capacities with the Roundup. He would later be named one of the first presidents of the Roundup Association. According to his obituary, Sheriff Taylor was described as a man of good physique and a typical Westerner. But When it came to his effectiveness as a sheriff, much of it was credited to his cunning ability to pick out criminals based off just the look in their eyes after studying their wanted posters. Taylor said that he would study the eyes because it was the one thing that couldn't change about a man. He may have been a revered and iconic figure in Umatilla County's history for all of these reasons that we've already mentioned, but he's remembered. Because of what happened this day 100 years ago. July 25th, 1920, was a Sunday in Pendleton. And according to Ernest L. Crockett's book, The Murder of Till Taylor, he describes it as a hot, sleepy Sunday. It was a day of perfect peace, all was well. At the Umatilla County Jail, there were seven prisoners locked up with Deputy Jake Marin watching over them. Meanwhile, that morning, Sheriff Taylor, e. Guy Ryrick, and R.E. Clue Klupek were searching through wreath for some stolen gold that they believed had been hidden by two of the criminals who were locked up in that jail, Neil Hart and Jim Owens. The two had been arrested two weeks earlier after a burglary and a robbery out on the reservation and then a gunfight in which Taylor helped bring them into custody. Throughout their search, Taylor, Ryrick, and Klupek, they couldn't find it, so they headed back home and they just stopped at Taylor's own home to enjoy some mint juleps with his wife, Claire. Around 1.30 that afternoon, Deputy Marin opened the doors for the prisoners to begin getting some lunch. So in one of the prisoners, Jack Rathy hit him over the head with a piece of firewood. In the moment, the keys fallen to the ground were taken and handed to one of the other prisoners, Albert Lindgren, who helped to open the door and let the others out, including Hart and Owens. As the group began their jailbreak, Hart and Owens quickly took the lead, and they locked Marin up, while another prisoner, Richard Patterson, took the moment to escape out of the building's south entrance as Sheriff Taylor and Guy Ryrick both entered through the north to confront them. At the scene, Taylor and Owens began to grapple while Rathy tried to take on Ryrick. Ryrick began to overtake Rathy, and Taylor was winning his battle with Owens when the sheriff's gun fell from its holster to the floor, where Hart opportunistically picked it up. With Owens urging him on, Hart took aim, and fired two shots in the direction of the sheriff. The first misses, but the second struck Taylor right above the heart. With Taylor wounded, beginning to bleed out and begging for water, Owens took the gun from Deputy Marin, held it to Wyrick. They demanded the guns and ammo from the sheriff's office, which, in order to save the life of Wyrick, Taylor told them exactly where they could find it. Owens, Hart, and Rathy together loaded up on as many weapons and ammo as they could and fled out the building's south entrance, where Lewis Anderson, another prisoner, followed along. with the escape. Prisoners fleeing the scene. Werick called urgently for help. Doctor H. H. Hattery arrived to tend to Taylor. Taylor was transported to Saint Anthony Anthony Hospital, and the calls began to circulate around town that Taylor had been shot and he was dying. The news passed around to the newspaper man, as Crockett puts it, it was down at Roundup Park where a baseball game was underway. The news passed around, phones ringing throughout all the homes in Pendleton, people angry and heartbroken at the news. As they began to arm themselves, gathering in posses at the courthouse, reports of the fugitives fleeing town circled around the area and men began to give chase. It wasn't long before Albert Lindgren was brought in, but the other five men were still at large and they were on the run as over a thousand people, lawmen, ranchers, farmers, and other locals alike would join in over the next six days in a manhunt to bring Till Taylor's killers to justice the beloved Umatilla County Sheriff died from the gunshot wound at 6 p.m. that night. On the next episode, we'll go into detail about the men responsible for Till Taylor's death, who they were, and just how responsible each of them may have been for the murder, as one of them, already brought into custody, and the others begin to split up and try to escape the men chasing them from around the region.